Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. It's a great privilege and an honour to be sitting here today in the headquarters of TaylorMade Golf in Australia with one of their global representatives, Matt Bovee. In a minute, I'll introduce you to Matt and we're going to cover off his story, his role within the TaylorMade group in Carlsbad, and we're going to talk about some of the latest product from TaylorMade and really try and take a little bit of a dive into understanding some of the technologies that I know that uh, people still need to learn and want to learn a little bit more about. So this is going to be a great discussion with Matt. It's been an absolute pleasure to, and privilege to be able to get his time and uh, I'd just like to thank everyone here at TaylorMade for allowing Matt to uh, join us here on the Mile of Golf podcast. So sit back, relax, enjoy this chat. It's going to be a good one. Bovey, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Russ. I think the term is, uh, how you going, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Well done. <laughs> so you've been in Australia for a few days now, so you arrived over the weekend, had a little bit of a sightseeing, a little bit of a tour in uh, another state, is that right? You're up in Sydney? Yeah, I was around Sydney. I uh, had to check out uh, some of the local tourism, you know, do the uh, the mandatory staples, see the Opera House, the bridge, but I got to spend some time around beautiful Bondi Beach as well, hit up Manly. Um, and now I'm down here exploring Melbourne, got some cool stuff uh, in store this week. So super excited. The hospitality has been great. The people are fantastic. You know, they're so friendly. Uh, I've had a great time. Did you say it was your first visit to Australia? Yeah. First time yeah, over. Right. Yep. Never been. Never been. Never been. So, uh, well, welcome again. And you know, we're sitting here in the TaylorMade HQ and you're obviously down here talking to the guys uh, and having a meeting. And I guess it's a great opportunity for me to sit down and pick your brains and, and share with you some of the knowledge and insights into the industry and, in, and especially in, in relation to TaylorMade, of course, with our listeners. I know that uh, when we get the chance to talk about product, I get a, a great uh, response and a great feedback and you know, the downloads of the podcast when we talk about product uh, spike. So, you know, I guess before we get into talking about a bit of product, I always want to know a little bit more about you. you yeah, know, sure. We met 10 minutes ago. I really don't know a lot about you. I've met some of your colleagues before. I've met uh, Tomo before mm -hmm. and uh, Mr. Abelis. I've met him before uh, in, in the city. Yourself, you seem like a, a – you're a young fellow compared to me. You're a young guy. Yeah, especially but, compared to the other two you just mentioned. <laughs> but um, I believe your breadth of experience and knowledge is far and wide. So how did you get to this role in TaylorMade as, and explain to me exactly what that role is at the moment? So yeah, if we start with what I'm doing today, yeah. um, what I, I, I lead the Irons Group uh, in the product creation team. So senior manager of Iron, yep, of Irons, yep. yep, exactly. So essentially, what that means is, you know, I work with all the different facets of the business for the creation of each of the irons that we offer, and 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 not just um, you know to everyday golfers. That includes working with toured players as well, um, and making sure that they have the best performing equipment and everything. 
So that's going to include, you know, the design, the way it looks from a cosmetic standpoint, working with our industrial design team, working with our R&D team, which is actually where I spent most of my time in TaylorMade. I came up through Mm R&D. So working with those guys, setting the right performance targets, pushing the performance limits, uh, designing new technology that is going to help golfers, you know, play better um, and technology that they that they're going to benefit from. Um, and then also, you know, getting within doing product presentations and working with the sales teams and talking with people like yourself to just really understand, you know, how we can make the game of golf more fun yeah. and more enjoyable for the everyday golfer. Plus, I'm a golf nut. So, you know, having, happy to sit here and talk product or the game in general. Perfect. Yeah. So I'll, we'll, um, we'll get into all of that. When did you join Telemate? Uh, about five and a half years ago now. So it would have been 2014. Yeah. Yeah. March. And do you have a, like an engineering background or is it? I do, yeah. Uh, two engineering degrees. So I have a, a bachelor's in mechanical engineering and then a master's in material science engineering. You're right. You're a California guy or you had to relocate there to get into the golf game? Or? Yeah, no, I moved to California to work for TaylorMade. And before that, I was in um, a state called Arizona, which is just east of California. Yeah. But uh, similar culture, warm weather, play golf year-round my whole life, essentially. Um, and I've always grown up around a body of water, so yeah. fit right in. You surf? I try to, yeah. I, I say I splash around a bit more than I'm actually, you know, a proficient surfer. It's actually quite hard, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's really good exercise. I can get around. I can hold my own. I mean, if you were to compare it to golf, I'd say I shoot in the 90s on a surfboard. Yeah, right. Did you have a bit of a dip in the water at uh, Bondi? Yeah, I did. I had uh, Bondi and Manly. Yeah, I right. went both. That was a water temperature. Yeah, it was fine. It was actually, good. I went uh, just in my trunks at, at Bondi. Yeah, it was yeah. good. It was pretty glassy. The offshore winds are different. I don't yeah. have those at home. So, you know, you're paddling into a wave and I'm just getting sprayed in the face yeah, and you know, you're blind for that first pop up, but it's good. Well, not much of a surfer myself, but um, I did grow up near the water, so I do love it. So I get your affinity with the water. So as a golfer, what's your background as a golfer? How did, you know, when did you start playing golf? Talk, talk to me about that journey. Yeah, I've been um, I've been a golfer my whole life. Yeah. Essentially, you know, there's pictures of me as a kid when I was you know young as three with like custom little clubs that you know my dad had made for me. He's a hands-on guy. He just he wasn't like super big into golf. Um, my uncle liked to golf, so they would go out and they'd play occasionally. Um, and I'd join him on the course and at the driving range, and I just kind of took to it. And um, I uh, had a like kind of a, a yard is actually born in a, a state called Nebraska. It's right in the middle of, the, of America. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, it, people have more grass, essentially. Arizona's all dirt. Yeah. But, you know, when I was a little, little kid, I had a grass yard. So it was just, hey, here's a club, here's a wiffle ball. And we had, like, you know, a little course. And I'd just go around and entertain myself and, and play for hours. Perfect. Yeah, so. So in Arizona, where did you where did you play there? Anywhere, um, anywhere that we'd know? Uh, course-wise or yeah. just cities? Or? Yeah, no, course-wise. Uh, yeah, I've been able to play uh, a couple nice courses in Arizona. Scottsdale is um, a fantastic area for golf. Uh, like, uh, you know, I spent some time at DC Ranch. Those guys always have great, great hospitality for us. Um, another course called Estancia. It's absolutely beautiful. It's in the top 100 for desert courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, anywhere I can get on, essentially, and they're always very hospitable. Uh, it's good. So you moved across to Carlsbad there to start the career with TaylorMade. Were you in the golf industry before TaylorMade? No? No, nope, TaylorMade's my first venture into the golf industry. I was in the uh, medical equipment industry before that. So I was designing medical equipment with my engineering degree. And yeah. uh, I did that straight out of school. And I, I had a job, you know, right when I graduated. So when you're fresh out of school and, and you know, you see a paycheck, it's, it's easy to go for it. But yeah, I got a lot of great experience out of it. I wore a lot of hats in terms of, you know, from product development all the way through the manufacturing process, which is ultimately where I landed in golf when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it was good, but one day it just clicked. It was like, 
why don't I go design the product that I love to use on a daily basis? Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that dream goal or that aspiration of people like, you know, I want to do, work in something I love and that's ultimately where I am today. And I'm very, very lucky. No, I, I get that. Uh, you know, I've always subscribed to that theory, you know, and golf for me, you know, I wasn't good enough as a golfer to become a professional and right. uh, didn't probably. You are. <laughs> well, but, you know, ultimately, you know, I've morphed into the golf career, but before that, you know, I love cars mm-hmm. and I love, so mo- I love motorcycles. Oh, cool. So my three jobs have been with Suzuki mm-hmm. in their head office. Yeah. Mercedes Benz. Okay. In the head office and nice. now, and now doing golf. Yeah, very so, good. So, uh, so I get that. In the iron department. So let's talk about, you've had some significant new product releases this year. Mm-hmm. So you've had, you know, P790. Right. P790 Ti. Yes. We had the P7TW. Yep. We had some uh, new wedges. So uh, yeah. Millgrind, MG, yep. Millgrind, MG2, Millgrind 2. And Bigfoot. And Bigfoot and, yep. and some putters. So it's a, a yes. new putter family. Yeah. I'm interested to pick your brains about P790. Okay. Because for what I do, it's been one of the most successful products that I've seen mm-hmm. released in a while. Yeah. I'm going to assume that that's a global representation of, of that product. 100%. It's been a juggernaut. It had a, what? What was the life cycle of, of P790? Uh, two years, full two tw- years. Yeah, 24 months. So it had a longer life cycle you know, in relation to some of the products that we see come in. in. It was a pretty good product. Yeah, I'd go so far as to say great, but you know, I'm, it was a I'm great, a little yeah, biased. No, no, you're right. I'll, I'll give you that. What, how do you change something that's so good? And I guess more so, what's the process when you sit down and you've got this product that you know games well, people love it, it does mm-hmm. everything. How do you morph that into something even better? Yeah, it's a great question. It's actually um, a very, it's a big challenge uh, for us as a design team. And especially, you know, at TaylorMade, we want to continue to push the boundaries. And sometimes, you know, with an iron like that, with P790, when you, you kind of catch lightning in a bottle is a term in America, yeah. um, you know, because it's got this beautiful design aspect to it that really resonates with golfers. And everybody, <clears throat> even if they can't play at a tour level, they would love to have a bag that looks like a tour player's bag, right? They, that blade, there's something about a muscle back blade that just is, it's so elegant, right? Yeah. And P790 embodies that, but it has a lot of hidden technologies that allow higher handicap golfers to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the sound and feel of the gol- golf club also allows better players to play it. So, you know, we were actually, you know, in our database and our market research, we're capturing golfers that are all the way from a plus four to a 25. And that's what made 790 so magical and so popular. Um, So when you're starting with that from a design perspective, you know, you have a great foundation Mm -hmm. and there's these key elements that you need to identify um, and not tweak too much. We always look to to get better, but so we know that the the design, uh, the look of the product was huge in terms of its success. It uh, appeals to both scratch golfers and high handicap golfers that are more aspirational. The performance side of it, golfers were loving the performance. They like the ball speed. They like the forgiveness. A lot of that comes from the flexibility of the face with the speed pocket in the bottom. Um, and then finally the sound and feel and the key there was that speed foam injection, which allows us to run with a thin face, building that, that ball speed, be, really have it feel like a traditional forged iron. So we know that we have to keep those design attributes. From there, we, you know, we can talk to retailers and, and golfers and understand like, okay, I get it. This product was great, but you know, you always strive for perfection. And if you're really dedicated to what you do, you never quite get there. You're always looking for that little extra. So making an iron that, you know, launches a little bit higher in the long irons, right? Um, making it more forgiving, uh, a little bit faster is another piece of it. 
right? And just being smarter with the way that we uh, design the internals to be able to get better mass properties. And then from a shaping perspective on that one, um, yeah, it, it looks like a player's iron in terms of the aspect ratios, but there's a couple little tweaks that we wanted to make and just tighten things up. And mm -hmm. that's ultimately what we did. So I guess what I noticed in the new P790, the, the top line got a little thinner. Uh, yeah, just a shade. Yeah, yeah. it did. Was there a little, little less offset? Uh, yes, in the long iron specifically. Yep. yep. And I guess the sole width, did it? Did it? The sole uh, did change. change the, the width was remained the same, but the curvature of the sole right, actually from heel to toe, it increased a little bit. And that was to prevent a little bit of uh, uh, digging. So just a touch of feedback that we got about that sometimes had the propensity to dig for certain swing types. Yeah, so right. we wanted to so that, that around. I guess that therefore would allow you to fit that to a wider range of people, allow it to be more suitable to a wider range of player. Yep, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, you got it. So how important is that look? Or I guess, where do you take the feedback from on the look uh, when, you know, taking the original P790 one ch to change it? Is that, do you get that from the tour player? Is that through your R&D players? I guess you've got a body of players that you pull in and say, talk to us about this. How do you, how do you tweak that? Yeah, um, we do uh, talk with some tour players a little bit and we get their feedback, especially on like the P-series type product. Yep. Um, a lot of it is intuition and, and talking with golfers and not even asking them specific questions, but like having a conversation and using your intuition to kind of infer mm -hmm. what it is that they really love or what they've captured about that product. And, mm -hmm. you know, with the new P790, um, we went all over the design space in terms of the cosmetic aspect of it. And we realized pretty quickly that we wanted something that felt like a P790. Um, that building on the equity of P790, et cetera, and being recognizable while still looking cleaner and fresh. So P790 success from a design standpoint had to do with how clean and how elegant that yeah. design was. 100%. Yep. So we wanted to push that a little bit further, which is what you see in the new one. So there's some different metal polishing there. It's got a high buff sole. Um, it's got this bright, beautiful blast on the wraparound, which kind of became that iconic sort of 790 yep. design feature. Um, and then we've actually cleaned it up by taking TaylorMade off of the back of the iron with the simple statement, which is just that metal T logo. So just cleaning it up, making it look even more uh, blade-esque in terms of the, you know, being a player's iron is mm -hmm. what we wanted. And internally, so you've got the speed foam. I, th I think yeah. a lot of people, um, whether it be in the iron product or, you know, the, the face in the driver product, you know, people still trying to understand what speed foam is and how it works and, and what it offers. So when we talk about the P790 product, what is, what's speed foam doing in there? So, you know, from an external point, you can see the little, um, uh, the lug or the, the nut on the yeah, screw. The on the, yeah, yep. that's the word. I'm, that's a fairly common word to look for. The screw on the mm -hmm. toe. Um, speed foam in there. Yes. Talk to us about speed foam. So what's, what speed foam is, it's yeah. a very lightweight um, polyurethane foam. Yeah. So what happens is you inject it into the head. And then that foam expands and it fills the cavity in its entirety. By doing that, um, <clears throat> we essentially improve the sound and feel of the iron by damping out vibrations very quickly, which is what a forge product feels like. That's mm -hmm. why it feels solid is how we manage the, the way it sounds. Because a lot of golfers don't know this, but sound is actually what you feel. So okay. when I say that, if it's, it's fun exercise. You got a pair of earplugs. You can hit two completely different types of irons with earplugs in. It's very, very difficult to distinguish the difference between the two because you're taking away that audible feedback that you as a golfer have. Yeah. So anyway, uh, what we do with that is we want to be able to control how the iron sounds. Now, when you put things like thin faces in products, 
790 has a thin face, right? We're down one, one, one millimeter, one point something millimeters thin. Uh, 1.6 millimeters right. on the new one. Uh, so it's thinner face than the yeah. original, but we're able to maintain that sound and feel thanks to the speed foam. So the speed foam lets you build in more speed. Mm -hmm. That's the term speed foam. And it really manages the sound and feel of the irons. Okay. So what about shafts? So, you know, when we're building a new, new iron, what do we do about shaft? How do we, how do we go around selecting shaft? Because I know in a fitting context, it's always the big thing. People are talking about shaft. Um, how do we find that? You know, how, how do you find that? Sorry. Well, when you're doing, uh, when you're selecting a shaft for a product, you really got to look at the demographic that the, the iron's designed for. So the core golfer you're designing for, and there's always going to be kind of this halo around your core golfer. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but iron's more than anything, you any other product, you really have to think about who you're designing the product for, right? Metalwoods, it, you know, Tiger's playing an M5. It's the same M5 that you pull off the shelf. And that goes from a, you know, head construction standpoint all the way down to how fast it is thanks to speed injection. Mm -hmm. um, wedges, for example, you brought up the new MG2. They're exactly the same. Raw face technology, you know, we can get in that if you want. Yep. Putters, obviously the same setup. Irons, they're so specific on who they're for, you have to keep that in mind. So shaft is another piece of that. Um, and if for 790, we want something that's going to be able to help launch the ball up in the air a little bit. We, it's got a performance package to it, et cetera. And, um, you know, we're designing for like that eight to 12 range. So we're going to put something in there that's maybe a little bit lighter weight. And that's why we have the DG 105, which is a great all around shaft. Um, but again, custom fitting is so important from, you know, getting the right product for you as a golfer. Um, you're going to continue to hear that from, from TaylorMade and I'd, I'd be interested to get your take on that. Uh, especially now with all of the, you know, that's why we have all these no upcharge options, et cetera, because yeah. we want players to go in, get fit, work with your head pro, et cetera. You're going to be happier. You're going to play better golf and you're going to walk away with the right product. So shafts from stock product, I got to kind of guess, yeah. right. But I encourage all golfers to go out and get the right shaft set up for them. Yeah, absolutely. So it's certainly something we deal with on a daily basis and it's, makes it so much more easy when there's a wider profile of shaft availability and you know there's usually always something that suits whatever the relevant um, ability level to, to fit into the product so yeah absolutely it's and it's great to see brands you know and tailor-made expand that profile of shaft uh, availability for custom fitting p790 ti mm -hmm. so that's you know it's, it's a pretty exclusive product yeah, a little bit in terms of the na the nature of the beast is that the, um, you know, it's a super premium iron mm. and that just doesn't go from a design standpoint, but when you're using exotic materials, I mean, the TI stands for titanium. It's a titanium hollow body iron and we can get into the benefits of that, but ultimately it allows us to take all of the weight savings from titanium, right? It's lighter than steel. That's why drivers use it as they got to 460. We can then take all that mass, that weight, and reposition it into a huge tungsten weight. It's up to, um, it's 119 grams actually in a seven iron. So it's 50% of that head mass is in that black tungsten weight that you see on the back. And that's the real tungsten weight. It's not just a cosmetic. It's not just a paint job. Yeah. That's the actual piece that comes out, drops yeah. in. It's it's actually a lot of fun to play with. Yeah. It's quite heavy. You know, yeah. I think if you give someone a bit of tungsten in their hand, they're always surprised. They go, oh, wow, yeah. that's really heavy. Exactly. And if you hold the tungsten piece in one hand and yeah. the head in the other, it's you as as humans, we can't really distinguish the difference. They're so close. That's why I say it's like 50% of the head yeah. mass. Technically, it's, it's just slightly shy of that. But um, in any case, exotic materials and the finishing and really the manufacturability of titanium and that type of construction, um, it's a very, very hard club to make. 
Mm. So to produce in high levels, et cetera, and uh, it just costs a lot of money to make. Hard club to make, you know, I'm assuming that there's a lot of processes and a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What sort of time, you know, in, in an iron, what sort of time is from start like to finish? Like from start to finish? Yeah. Um, that particular iron takes about nine weeks. Nine, nine weeks. weeks. Yeah. Nine weeks. Mm-hmm. And my background, we didn't get into like where I came from before irons, but uh, I was on the manufacturing side yeah. for metalwoods and metalwood design. So yeah. casting titanium, something I'm familiar with, yeah. but yeah. So it, it starts as um, a, basically a wax injection. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of think of like injection molding, but yep. with wax. Yes. And then you basically, you cover it in ceramic and it goes through this whole process. Then you cast the titanium and then you have to take that out, deshell it, weld the face in, do all your metal polishing, et cetera. And then ultimately it starts to transform into what you see on the shelf. But the difficulty with the P790 tie is this transitions from thick to thin in the casting wall. Um, Also, uh, you know, the, the, changes in angle, the sharp 90 degree turns and whatnot that an iron head compared to a driver makes it harder to cast. All this is probably more technical than you were necessarily looking for. No, 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 but but it's relevant because, you know, I'm, I know that people ask these questions. Mm -hmm. So if people ask these questions to me, you know, they're sitting at home listening to this and we're answering it for them and we're doing a job in in helping them understand that when they're making an investment in, in golf gear, that there's, there's a fair bit to it. Oh yeah, there's it, a lot it, of science behind everything you design. It's not just bang, bang, bang. You know, when you when you're talking about making an iron and it takes nine weeks from the start of the process to the end of the process, that's a. F- I imagine there's a fair few processes, machines, oh, yeah. hands, a lot of hand craftsmanship, a lot of hand craftsmanship. Yeah. So a lot of hand, everything's hand polished. Exactly. That's really interesting. Um, with P790 and, and P790Ti, I've I've seen P790Ti um, just the once. Um, the lofts, you know, here's another question for you. I'm oh sure yeah, you, here comes the loft jacking yeah, question. And I'm sure you've had this, obviously, <laughs> by, the, by your response a number of times, but sure. I understand mm-hmm. why the lofts have strengthened. Mm-hmm. But can you help me explain to the listeners why why the reason for strengthening lofts, why we're playing a couple of degrees stronger versus 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Yeah. I mean, in its simplest form, Uh, We're able to do things with the iron design from what's called a mass property standpoint. So that means like what you do and how you position the center of gravity of that club head, Mm -hmm. specifically irons in this case, that's going to change the way the ball launches off the face. So what we want to do is, excuse me, what we want to do is we want to manage how that iron plays and really optimize the playability of the iron. So that means we're looking for certain launch angles, right? Peak heights, et cetera. That's what we monitor more than loft. So by taking those center gravities and like P790 tie is a perfect example because that tungsten mass we talked about, it means that your center gravity is very, very low and that's going to give you a high launch, low spin. By doing that, you're able to then strengthen the loft of the iron and still maintain your peak height and importantly your descent Same, yeah. do your descent angle to where you can still stop the ball but you're getting more distance out of it without lengthening the club so if i can give you an iron that you're going to hit further right without making it longer like physically longer yeah it's where it's more playable right and you're still able to hold greens why wouldn't you want that exactly right so that peak height and the descent angle is something in in golf club uh, design that is really important when you're getting fit. Um, you know, have a look at those angles. Most monitors and, and launch monitors and simulators can show you and give you a number and a piece of data on, on descent. 
And, uh, you know, if you're not getting the right descent angle, it means that your club's not going to, you know, hold that green. Okay, that's a great explanation. Thank you. Um, wedges. So I've just, my, my listeners will know, and uh, I'll rub it in again, that I've just come back from Scotland, played a bit of Lynx golf for about three weeks straight. Uh, when I jumped on the plane with uh, my good wife, who I refer to as Mrs. My Love of Golf, we were about 15 kilos overweight. I'm going to add, attribute a couple of kilos of that to having carrying two sets of wedges. Okay. Had some high toes. Yeah. And the new MG2s. Good. I'm struggling to, to, to work out which one to put in the bag. Yeah. Because I like them both. Sure. So why would someone, you know, is there a definable difference between um, a player that would be better suited to a, a high toe versus an MG2? You know, maybe if we talk about MG2 first, you know, the, and maybe the, the new raw face and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But, you know, and then talk about high toe because for me it's, it's an interesting one. I like them both. And it's like a game of any, mini, money mo at the moment. You know, who's been a good boy? Who's coming? To, who's, who's coming? <laughs> yeah, who's got to, the favor? Yeah, who's coming to golf? But um, this morning when I played, you know, I've got a set of um, 50, 54, 58. Uh, I play the same loss. Yeah, MG2 uh, in the black finish. Mm-hmm. Um, the raw face is just starting to, to, to corrode I've, a little it, bit. Yeah, out of curiosity, did you have a choice between black and chrome? And if you did, why did you pick black? Yeah, okay, this is a good point. I, I will always have a black wedge. Um, if there's one available, if I can't have a black wedge, I'll always have a raw finish wedge. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, when I look in my little lawn locker of golf clubs, the wedges that I've kept through my journey are always the raw ones. I like that raw finish. I like the look of it. Um, and I think I like what the performance benefits are. Mm-hmm. So when it came to you know the MG2, mm-hmm. the black, I, I just think it, it set up... It, highlights the ball i like the darker wedge and it highlights the ball so maybe through you know my average short game it helps me with that a bit but you know as soon as it had a raw face you know i was immediately drawn to putting putting that in the bag yeah you're sold yeah so why why go to a raw face well essentially uh, raw faces you're going to get more consistent spin throughout all the different playing conditions and this is something that sorry this is something that uh do you want to take a break no we're fine i'm okay I've been talking a lot this yeah, week. Yeah, I've been talking yeah, a lot of product. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and you picked up, you mentioned like you like the performance of raw and whether you've been able to identify it, maybe you have launch monitors that you have access to, et cetera. But ultimately, um, tour players have figured this out a long time ago. And even if they weren't able to really articulate it, and we've been able to now identify it as we have better technology and, and whatnot, but um, a, a, it doesn't have a glare on it, which is nice from a cosmetic yep. standpoint. And yep. that's probably part of why you like the black. Yep. But the most important being the spin characteristics, uh, getting more spin with a raw face. This has been something that people have said for a long, long time. And then there, there were those out there, they're like, hey, raw face doesn't actually spin more. I'm not seeing it. Raw faces spin more when you have wet conditions. Mm-hmm. So when the ball is wet, the grass is wet, you don't see a spin drop off like you do with a chrome plated wedge. This, and I mean, as golfers, right, you ever play a morning round, there's always dew on the ball, right? I'm commonly in the rough. It's <laughs> going to be more wet than the fairway. Um, and that's why the tour players all play raw. Yeah. So like we're right now we're doing demos with wedges and et cetera, and, and we'll do it real time, right? You just hit, okay, dry chrome plated versus raw. Here are the spin numbers. You're going to see pretty similar. 
because uh, squirreling patterns, et cetera. And then I'm going to take the, a, a spray bottle. I'm going to simulate wet conditions. I spray that ball. I go raw face. I go, I go chrome plating. You see the raw wedge drop off by, you know, a couple hundred RPMs. And you're talking about in the nine to 10,000 range with the wedge. So small yeah. percentage. And then you're seeing a chrome uh, one actually drop by about 50% and your launch angle goes up. So what you're getting is a higher launching low spinning shot, which means you're going to have a harder time with your consistency of distance and holding that green. Um, So that's where raw face really shines. And now with the MG2, like the thing that I love, so I like raw face technology. I play raw face. I've had access to tour product for a long time. So I've been able to do that. I've been fortunate in that regard, but I've never really loved the way the raw head looks on the back of the wedge. Yeah, right. Yeah. It starts to rust and, you know, you got to maintain it, this and that. And that's why it never has done well in stores. But now we have this proprietary uh, plating process where we can mask the face. We can give you a raw face and we can give you that beautiful finish in the back still. You like black, or you like chrome, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it be, yep. which is what makes MG2 so cool. Yep. High toe, since you asked about that, um, you know, it's just a little bit different type of player, specifically in the, in the longer, uh, or sorry, the higher lofted wedges. High toe has a lot of uh, benefits when you're talking about versatility and that's for better players. If you're opening it up, uh, you know, you're hitting the lob shots, flop shots. You look at where you impact the face commonly, like having the score lines going all the way to the toe with that uh, more surface area out on the face and that high toe area, thus the name allows you to do more with it. Now from like a game improvement standpoint, um, higher handicap players can benefit from it as well because like think about, where you're let's just look at where you're hitting your wedges when you're chipping or whatever. And you're going to see a lot of times that they're missing low toe, right? And you're hitting the area that doesn't have score lines. So you're getting, you know, getting inconsistent run out, et cetera, et cetera. I have a good buddy of mine. He's a little bit higher handicap player. He loves his high toes because of that. Like we were joking around every shot he was hitting was out on the toe and he's still getting that ball to stop mm-hmm. and still controlling it. So whether you're a good player or not, high toe is something that you should be looking at. Have you seen guys swapping and changing? Is it, does one launch differently to the other you know, based on their, their experience? You know, did someone want a different shot characteristic you know, versus Dustin Johnson versus Rory versus Jason? What have you noticed there? Yeah, they all have, you know, their own individual things that they're looking for. Um, and the tour has been able to, we've been using raw face for those guys for a little bit. Cause that's what they prefer. But like when you compared MG1 with high toe, high toe is going to have a little bit higher center of gravity because that face is getting taller, right? So you're moving weight up. That yep. means you're shifting the center of gravity. That's going to change how the wedge launches. And a lot of these guys want a low launch, high spinning wedge. And that's what a higher CG does. Now that you have MG2, if you look on the back of that, you kind of see this thicker area on the back of it. And it's because we're moving mass up intentionally because we want to control that center of gravity, get a little bit lower launch, higher spinning wedge design. So now with MG2 coming out, guys that were playing high toe because they wanted that particular launch characteristic. Now they're taking a look at MG2 as well. um, And they may be shifting back and forth, you know, in in and out of that. And it all depends on what type of playing conditions. I think commonly you're going to see the high toes stay in the bag for the, again, that, that high lofted wedge, that 58, 60, 64, just because of the versatility around the greens. Uh, you know, Rory's a good example. Rom's a good example. Like these guys all play the high toe for their lob wedges. And you're starting to look at, um, you know, the MG2s for like the 50s, 54s, 56, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they kind of go back and forth. Depends what they're looking for specifically. So the new mill grind too has the um, elastomer in the back, mm-hmm. you know, down near the bounce sole. So what happened there? So is that weight saving as you move the weight up and I'm going to assume feel maybe a bit of acoustics to me uh, the wedge feels totally different to the previous mill grind and and uh, before that and 
yeah, I love it. I'm a, I'm a as, a, as I've told my listeners before, my short game is, is not my strength, but uh, it certainly feel-wise is first class. Yeah, it's oh. nice and soft. Hey, well, and thank you. No, but um, so does the elastoma, what part of the elastoma insert does that have? No, you nailed it, honestly. Um, basically, if you're going to move mass, it's got to come from somewhere. So if you're looking to move that center of gravity a little bit higher. Yeah. And we also wanted to reinforce the back of the uh, wedge because you mentioned it in terms of sound and feel. And we talked about a little bit 790. But we have computer simulations that kind of tell us how that iron is going to respond to impact and vibrate. So if you make the upper portion of that face a little bit thicker, it's going to be a little bit more solid. It's going to change the way it feels. Yeah. So we got to pull that mass from somewhere, yep. right? And then we fill that cavity with that uh, TPU insert. Um, and that is going to help actually dampen out vibrations. It's similar to how we uh, d control vibrations in irons, right? Um, like M5, M6 have a damper down inside the cavity. Yep. Similar concept, uh, just in a wedge. So yeah, you got it, man. So last question on the wedges, um, the mill grind, you know, they're called mill oh, grind. Oh, yeah, I love it. So why why have a mill grind? Hmm. You know, and what is mill grind? Yeah, once again, it's a question that I get, and uh, why mill grind? Yeah, so milled grind is really that pattern that you see on the sole. It's only on tailor-made wedges. Um, what that means is we're creating that sole geometry with the use of a CNC machine. So every head, every sole is machined. So now it's, it's the same. Yes, it's be, you know. exactly. So in the past, and you look at competitive wedges, they're all hand polished. And just like, you know, our other irons are hand polished. There's inherently much more variation in hand polishing than there is with machining. You could be the most artisan of wedge shapers or iron shapers and polishers, and you could be the most experienced uh, guy in the world, but you're not going to match the repeatability of a CNC. You're just not. Machine parts are more exact. Um, and the reality is when you're mass producing product, right, you don't have the best guy in the world uh, necessarily machining every single wedge. So that really allows players to get consistency. Yeah. Your wedge grooves wear out. It changes the way the spin characteristics are, et cetera. So players should be re replacing the wedges. You know, it depends how frequently you play, but you don't want to have to guess or second guess, like, am I going to get the same sole geometry? Everyone has that wedge from the past, like that they held on to for too long, that they love, et cetera. You know, you're going to get the exact same playability when you go to replace that wedge. And that's the benefit of the mill grind process. It's just more exact. So how often would you say that players who play once, twice a week, you know, should realistically, if they want the best performance and, and the best opportunity to score, change a wedge? Yeah, and Bill Price would probably be the best guy. He's the head of our uh, wedge category. Yeah. Does fantastic work to answer that. I think, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood, of, if you're playing at that frequency, you know, once, twice a weekend, um, at once a year, yeah. at least, you're, yeah. you're going to notice a, a big, big difference. The tour guys are really doing it. Uh, most of them are changing on a biweekly basis because they always want the freshest face possible. Yeah. Again, it comes down to consistency. Yeah. Uh, but that's not feasible for everybody, yeah, right? But, you know, if if you're an avid golfer and, and you know, you'd say you're practicing your short game a lot, that also is a big part of it. How often are you hitting bunker shots? How often are you chipping? How often are you working around greens? Hitting that 70-yard wedge shot to develop some finesse? You're going to need to replace your wedges more. Yeah. Because the grooves wear out and the ball doesn't spin as much and, you know. And you lose you, stopping you, power. You keep, stay, keep using the same type of shot and the ball rolls 10, 15 metres past and, yeah. you know, then you're changing your game. And you don't want to change your game because that's going to be, uh, you know, to the detriment of it. P7TW. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's a big week for TW. Oh, what a week, man. You know, 82 wins. Um, what a player. My other co-host, Rocket, um, we mentioned uh, Rocket off, off air. You know, he and I have been having a, a chat um, 
you know, pretty much for the last month or so, is Tiger going to play in the President's Cup? Now, for the benefit of uh, golf in Australia and golf in Melbourne, we all hope that he comes down and plays. And I think after winning the Zozo, you know, he'd have to be thinking about picking himself. Yeah, you'd certainly. I mean, he's got to be a lock at this point. He's moving into the top ten from a world ranking standpoint. I mean, there's how could you not no, pick yourself? I, I could understand maybe the hesitation as a captain of, of being the one that picks yourself. I don't know. Maybe it's also it's like a movie. It's hard to direct and act. Maybe it's hard to be a captain and play. But you certainly hope so. And I think even before the win in Zozo, like there were some comments from Phil talking about how you know, Phil would pick Tiger over himself if he was in yeah. his shoes and, and, and players calling to the fact that he should already be a captain's pick. Yeah. So yeah, I hope he plays, you know, he's just, there's no competitor like him. I'd love to have him on the U S team, quite frankly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so the P seven TW. So funnily enough, um, you know, last night I was hitting a P seven TW in the sim. One of, one of our guys uh, has a set. He's uh, just a mad TW fan and uh, he's got a set of P7 TWs. What's so special about that club? <laughs> Other than it says PW on it and mm. you know, but is exactly the spec that Tiger would, would use, is it? Yeah, it's the same head design that Tiger yeah. uses. So what's so special about that iron? Um, you know, it's the culmination of Tiger's entire golf career yeah, right. essentially like yeah. every practice session every win his skill set what he's learned in terms of what works for him from a performance aspect and what he likes to look at that's what p7tw is and the creation process of that was uh something really sp truly special um and we learned a lot from tiger uh we obviously work with the best tour players in the world and have for a long time tiger's level of feel and the specificity that he requires from a performance standpoint is unmatched and that's not to talk poorly towards any other tour player it's just i mean it's not hard to imagine tiger being at a different level and he really is because he doesn't want his you know eight iron to go i'm making this number up i don't remember how far he hits yeah. his eight iron but he doesn't want it to go 162 or you know once he wants it to go 166 he doesn't want it to spin at 6800 he wants 6600 right he doesn't want this launch angle, he wants that launch. He knows exactly what he wants from every angle of performance. And he also has a specific look and he also has a specific feel. So you are completely constrained from a design perspective with nowhere to deviate and to have these errors. And it's really, really hard to make an iron that checks every one of those boxes, which was, you know, part of the fun from an engineering standpoint of, Hey, we, it's, it's a challenge. And, uh, it took, a, it took a while. We actually did nine metal prototypes alone and this is a forged blade right so from a technology standpoint there's not a ton going in there if you compare it with like p790 tie yep. so at first we were like we got this lo and behold nine iterations later you know we finally got that approval on that uh on that first iron and then we do the bookend so we started in the center uh with uh, the six iron and then we went to the three and the nine and we filled in but Ultimately, yeah, so, the TW is just something special. So he's not got conventional lofts. Like there's a the no. three and the four iron is, is, is different. You know, I'm, I can't remember. He it. plays weaker lofts in general because he um, delofts the club yep. face at impact quite a bit. He also views spin as a big ally for him. It's a, it, he looks at spin as his advantage. Yeah. Again, he's just not trying to hit it any further. And spin is a control piece. Um, and he just, like I said, that's the way he likes to play the game. And, you know, he's already, um, he's at the point in his career where, 
look, he's not going to try to relearn how to play or play differently. He knows what he wants and, and that's what he wants to stay with. Even his groove geometry, right? Yeah. Well, Tied, that, tighter groove spacing. Yeah. You notice that you yeah, set yeah. it down to a P730. It's going to spin a little bit more. You're going to get two to 300 more RPMs out of a 7TW compared to a 730. Um, and then there's also things like the shaping aspect of it. Like there's some unique characteristics that are his. Obviously that sole geometry is very specific to him. Um, and then it also has tungsten weighting in the blade, yeah. which is a whole nother backstory as to how we got there. But every one of those design elements, design elements, excuse me, is incorporated into the 7TW. So you're hitting the same club that Tiger's hitting. Well, uh, it probably explains why I didn't hit it very well <laughs> because I'm probably not generating Tiger speeds. But uh, I just remember at address, you know, that tighter, the, the tighter groove geometry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I could see that. You know, you can see that very well. It's a, it's a beautiful club to look at, beautiful club to hit. Um, probably the the X100 shaft's a bit too heavy for me. But yeah, right. Uh, uh, it was it was a really nice thing to, to be able to do. Um, a couple other things, I guess, we'll talk about, and then I'll let you go because I know you've got to run. But um, the ball, mm -hmm. the ball's been a big thing, best kept secret in golf right now, and it's quickly becoming not a secret. Yeah. So you're pretty passionate about that. Obviously. I love the ball. So how close are you to you know the changes in the ball, the ball development? You know what's what's happened for TaylorMade in the ball? Why has it become such a big game changer for you? Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm familiar with the ball product, how it performs, et cetera. And as a golfer, like, you know, experiencing that change and, and I play the TP five X and, and I know what it came from. Um, <clears throat> so I know in that regard, uh, Mike Fox is one who heads up our ball team and, and we have a whole R and D team behind it that could get into more specifics, but essentially the TP five and five X is, um, it's a five layer golf ball. We're the only company out there with a five layer ball and you can do things with a five layer ball that you simply can't do with a four layer ball. At the end of the day, technical stuff aside, ultimately the five and five X performs better off the tee and from the fairway than any ball out there. So like, for example, with my irons, I myself picked up eight yards with a six iron and it's launching. It actually launches higher and it spins less and that's how it maintains. Uh, it actually has a distance gains, but it's important, right? I'm still able to hold greens. I don't have any problem stopping the ball or controlling the ball because with that higher launch, you're hitting a higher peak height and your descent angle is therefore going to be steeper. So you don't need quite as much spin to stop it. Um, and then now off the tee, right? You're getting faster ball speeds there. So I'm picking up five, six yards off the tee. And I'm picking eight yards up off my six iron. All of a sudden I got at least one club less going into a green. And when you have less club going into a green, you're going to score better. Look, there's a reason why four out of the top five uh, top uh, tour players in the world play a TP5 or TP5X. Rory started looking at tailor-made equipment because of the ball, right? Then he fell in love with everything else. We just signed Ricky. Ricky's in love with the ball. He wins with it uh, second week out after making the change, right? Uh, Matt Wolf, Colin Morikawa, they've played a different ball, quote unquote, the number one ball in golf their entire life. They've just made the switch. Wolf, who won his second tournament out, third tournament out, the guy's a phenom. He just finished 13th in the Zozo, was in the top 10 pretty much all weekend. And Morikawa's picked up um, a full club from the fairway and he's readjusting to his numbers, but he's excited about the advantage that gives him. All this comes for, you know, the price of a dozen balls. You're talking about significant performance change. You don't have to change the clubs you're playing, any of it. And it's something that golfers can just test and see and try. I get it, right? You've been playing the same ball your whole life. It, they're both white. How much better could it be? It's a game changer. There you go. You heard it here. The TP5 and the TP5 I didn't X. mean to go on like, <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's no, practically no, but, a commercial. But, but you can tell no, it's something no, I'm like, it's, passionate about. Yeah, yeah no, I, no, it's no. just, why, why would you play a more inferior product? Like, it just doesn't make sense. 
it's a it's an important thing, and getting fit for golf balls uh, is is a big topic of uh, conversation. We could you know go on about golf ball fitting, and, and we'll save that for another time. But um, I guess I left it to last. But you mentioned to me at the start, you know, your initial background was in metalwoods. Yeah, correct. So, you know, once again, another game changer for the industry with twist face, um, speed injection technology. Mm-hmm. Once again, I think it's something that's still a growing area of understanding. You know, people people love the product and, um, you know, it's been very successful. But what are those couple of technologies that, um, that you've been involved with and you've seen and had, you know, some involvement with? Let's talk about speed face. I'm sorry, um, twist face, sorry. You want a twist face specifically? Yeah, yeah sure. So we can talk about anything. It's your podcast, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, you know, we talk yeah, about we start, with, we start with twist face. Um, essentially, like for anybody who doesn't know, twist face is a new curvature for the face. So bulge and roll. Everybody knows that term. It's like it's the radius of the face from heel to toe and from high to low. What that does is it compensates for when you hit the ball off center, right? But it's outdated. Bulge and roll is designed off the concept of the club face being square at impact. The reality is, and we know this through acquiring thousands and hundreds of thousands, really, shots, and the technology development with being able to look at the club orientation at impact, right? Things like GC quad, track band, stuff like that. When golfers miss center face, there is a uh, definable trend as to what their face orientation is relative to the path. Now, that sounds kind of technical, but it's basically... Is your face open or closed at the point of impact? Well, when the golfers miss it in the high toe of the driver, strong statistical confidence that that face is going to be closed, which golfers can relate to. Because what happens when you hit it high toe? Well, it's a draw. It's a big hook. Yeah, you know, right. It's a, it's a pull. It's, it's a yeah. you know, start center line and goes yeah. to the left. You're just immediately going down, yeah. down. Yeah, yeah stop, right? stop. Yeah. They say there's a reason like you can't yeah. talk to a yeah. to a draw, right? That's why. <laughs> exactly. That's snipe snipe hook. And then I'll ask you the same question for a low heel. Now you get that heely shot. Like what happens? Yeah, it, it's um, you know spinning off to the right, so it's you know, get a little bit of a riser that bleeds to the right. Bleeds exactly, and sapping distance, and yeah. that's that's because when golfers hit high toe, the face is closed, mm-hmm. and when golfers hit uh, low heel, the face is open. So twist face compensates for that. What it means is the upper portion of the face is actually open. Mm-hmm. Face angle is more open than at the center face. And then low on the face, it's actually more closed. So it's a weird thing to think about. And that's why we created that visual of what that face is. It kind of looks like a Pringles ship. Yep. Right. Um, and it sh- illustrates what that curvature is. And it's like 20 times the scale so that you can see it because we don't want it to be blatantly obvious from a dress. It needs to look like something that golfers are going to accept and be confident in. But the reality, like, you know, it's a game changer. It makes you more accurate off the tee. It's, it makes your misses smaller. Um, and you know, tour guys, just like weekend guys, if you can keep one more ball in play, right. I'm going to take, you know, that didn't go OB and it would have before all of a sudden, you know, I'm likely saving two strokes and depending on where you're at or how many times you do that, it's a big deal. And for these guys on tour, right. If you hit one more fairway, it can be the difference between a win and a loss and a, and a fair chunk of change, and millions of dollars, and a fair chunk of change, Wish I played for that. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned earlier on that, uh, the product that you, know, you get in store, you know, is exactly the same as. You know, the product that's in the tour van. That's right. So speed injected technology in the face. Mm-hmm. How does that work? 
Well, so speed injection technology at its simplest form ensures that every driver can live at the legal limit from a COR number, how fast that face is, right? So people will understand this in terms of uh, everything has variation, manufacturing variation, or just variation in general, right? Not everybody's the same height. You put X number of people in the room, there's going to be an average height and there's going to be extremities. Same thing with manufacturing. So when I'm designing a face speed, right, I have to be able to account for all of those manufacturing variations. It's what's called a, it's a normal distribution or a bell curve for anybody that's ever been involved in statistics. So we have to be able to account for risk, et cetera, because we don't want to make non-conforming product. We don't want to go down that road. It's, it's a big, big headache. <clears throat> and we want to make sure golfers have a club that they can trust, right? But we want to maximize performance. Now, the tour guys in the past, um, we've been able to give them faces that are a little bit, fa you know, closer to that legal limit because we can test every head multiple times. The spicy heads. Spicy heads, too spicy. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually what we ended up calling. It's how we refer to them internally yeah, right. and just kind of kind of stuck. But um, so, you know, as an engineer, it's just like, well, I want to give this to all golfers, right? H how do we deliver this level of quality um, to the mass population? And essentially the answer is speed injection. What that does is it allows us to eliminate all of the manufacturing variation by making that driver face illegal to start, meaning it's past the COR limit. And then we're going to measure the head multiple times at the end of production. And we're going to inject a resin that controls the flexibility of the face. That's what those two pins are. So we actually inject a structural resin behind each pin so that we can not only live at that legal limit, but we can maximize the sweet spot by controlling the face speed in both the heel and the toe to give golfers as much performance as possible. So depending on the outcome, and correct me if I'm wrong, the outcome of the, that testing before the resin is injected, depending on the outcome of the testing depend, determines how much resin gets put into each of the yeah, ports. Exactly. Every so driver is like a snowflake. No, no driver is exactly the same. Yeah, right. Yep. And you think about, we talked about the hand craftsmanship associated with irons, right? It takes yep. nine weeks, et cetera. You know, there's a lot of hand polishing in metalwoods, um, all the carbon panels that are bonded, the amounts of glue, how much that composite weighs, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff, even the paint and the PVD on a head, which is what makes it black, yeah. changes the CT number, which is what the USGA and the RNA use to measure COR. It's a quicker test. Yeah. That will change the CT of the head. So in it, to be able to maximize this and eliminate all the manufacturing variation, you have to do it at the very last step. If you're not doing it at the last step, you're leaving something on the table. And that's what we develop with speed injection. So what that means is, you know, Tiger's driver gets lost in shipping. Never happened because the guy flies private or takes a yacht. <laughs> but let's say it does, yeah. right? He can walk into a golf shop and he can get a driver face that's going to be just as fast as the one he had. It's the same quality. It's the exact same materials. It's the same speed as what he was playing before. Lucas Herbert was the only one that got uh, lose his clubs in uh, transition. <laughs> He's a tailor-made player in Aussie here. He lost his clubs last year famously. But uh, anyway... Should have so, used him. <laughs> I didn't know that. I should have used him. <laughs> I can't imagine Tiger uh, losing his clubs in, no. in transit. Uh, so where to from here? No, no I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk about future product because we can't. But how do you, you – know, I guess it's like the P790 question. You know, How do you make yeah, something yeah. better? I guess you're always sitting around just looking at, at how to make something right. better because the, the limits are, are reached. You know, the ball the ball speed is, is coming off the face is, is, is at its limit, yeah? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we know that limit as yeah. a COR is 830, 257 CT. Um, but that doesn't mean that the area that is will deliver 830 yep. can't continue to grow. Uh, so a bigger sweet spot. Bigger sweet spot is what yep. that means. But look, 
Taylor means mentality and we're very competitive in terms of nature, like the, the culture, et cetera. We're all athletes. We're all golfers. So there's a passion that goes into the product that I believe is unmatched. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I'm biased, but, um, we have a, a company like saying it's, it's number one is never done. Meaning that you can always continue to strive to be better. You can always identify areas that you can just get a little bit better because you can never actually attain perfection is what that's saying. Um, and so with Metal Woods, like every year we make something, we are able to then identify like, well, it would have been like, what if I do this? Or what if I tweak that? Or you uncover every time you solve a problem, right? You have the potential to uncover a second problem that you can then yeah. work to optimize. So it's an ever-changing piece. But yeah, you can always, you know, we can work to make the sweet spot larger. We can work to make the driver more accurate. We can work to make the driver more forgiving. Uh, and that's going to make, you know, to where you're protecting that ball speed. Uh, you have more stability in the head. That's what the forgiveness, what the MOI piece means. It's really, really important for anybody listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you can always, uh, you know, try to improve uh, how fast the club head is being delivered to the ball as well. So you got club head speed, you got ball speed, you got launch conditions. Um, all those things are critical. And that's what like technologies like twist face speed injection, um, you know, that low back CG and an M6, for example. Uh, that's exactly what those do. Okay. I think uh, I've kept your time. That's easy for me to keep going. Yeah, no, and and me too. Me too. You know, we could talk about golf gear um, endlessly. A couple of last questions. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you gaming yourself at the moment? What's in the bag? So if we run down through the bag, I have uh, M5, nine, yeah, M5, nine degree driver. Yep. Uh, weights are all the way back because I need as much forgiveness as possible. Shaft? Uh, my shaft right now, oh, it's an older UST shaft. Sorry for any of the uh, shaft vendors that are listening. <laughs> the UST boys are going to be like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then from a th- uh, three-wood perspective, I have an M5 three-wood, so that's the titanium fairway with that large movable weight in the sole thing is just easy to get up. And this and the movable weight, where you got that? Uh, it's in the center. In the center? In right? the center for me. Uh, and then I have a P792 UDI. Yep. So I grew up, like I said, I played a lot of golf in Arizona, so hitting that, uh, that low missile is, is good, and it's just good control off the tee. Um, and then I got, uh, you know, four to pitch in P760. So that's going to be that it's a naturally progressive set, right? Forged, uh, player's iron. Um, and then I have a 50, 50, no, sorry, 50, yeah, 50, 54, 58. Um, and I have high toe across the board yep. with the uh, raw face. And then, uh, I have a spider tour putter that, uh, I made custom a, a while ago that I've just, you know, I've, I've fallen in love with. It's hard to pull out of the bag. Is Jason Day responsible for the spider tour putter? In a, in a lot of ways. Lot no, of I mean, not from a design standpoint yeah, of, course, of like, yeah, you know, the MOI and the stability, yeah. but yeah, it was his, his call to go red. He wanted red and I mean, it just lit the world on fire and that particular hosel, I really think it's the hosel that mm-hmm. made yeah. spider so popular that short slant because you get a little bit of the toe hang. I think it's like 32 degrees off the top of my head, yeah. but it feels more like a blade putter, which is what better players are kind of used to. Uh, when it's, you're moving through the ball, you got this swing arc, but you get all the stability of a mallet. And then you throw a pure roll insert in there. So you're getting that ball rolling faster, which is really important if you're not playing on absolutely perfect greens, which yeah. majority of us aren't. Um, so yeah, he's, he's been a big part of it and that thing's just lit the world on fire. It was phenomenal to see how many, uh, players just adopted that putter mm-hmm. you know, as soon as he started playing with it. And he's then still one of the best putters in the world. Rolling the rock in beautifully. Where's Jason from again? I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> I'm sure we're going to see him down here at the President's Cup and, uh, you know, he's, he's got to be a captain's pick. Yeah, I'm going to so. see him uh, next week. I'm actually going from here. We're going to do the tour shoot, so I'll see all the guys. Uh, I'll have to yeah. give him a 
your regards. Yeah, cool, absolutely. <laughs> I'm telling them my love of golf podcast. As a massive fan of Jason Day, I hope he's uh, happy to see him down here. So you're going to go off and hang out with these guys, is that right? Yeah, we're talking about some new product yeah. and uh, you know, gain some media content and do the marketing yeah. shoots, yeah. that type of stuff. And uh, again, that's just an example of I'm um, extremely lucky. It's like a wet dream. <laughs> will we Can see you on? That? <laughs> That's all right. Here we are. Um, will we see you on a video? Will we see you on some of the marketing collateral? We saw. Uh, we you saw never know. Honestly, we try to keep it more. People don't want to see me. They want to see the tour guys. So it's. I, I, we tend to live more in the background and just yeah. you know, help educate them on what the product does. But yeah, they, you, there's a chance you never know. Might have saw your colleague Tomo Bystad in yeah. some of the oh, some yeah. of the collateral there yeah. earlier on. Yep, M3 Tom, and four ounce. Tomo fitted me for my uh, M5 at the start of the. There year. you go. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah, he. Um, so he was in irons before me. I've yeah. replaced irons as he's moved on to Metalwoods and he just put the irons category in such a good place with the development of the P series and the first 790 was him and you know really establishing 750 770 760 giving tailor-made credibility on a, on the player's iron side as yeah. well as the game I mean it, he's he's brilliant well congratulations on the work that you've done for Thank the you. brand and with the product um, it's Phenomenal. Um, so well done on that. And and thank you again for giving me your time. Absolutely. And thank you to the guys here at TaylorMade Australia. Um, no hesitation in, in putting us together and uh, letting us record this and bringing it to you. So, Matt, I really do appreciate your time. All the best for the rest of your stay here in Australia. Are you, are you going to have a game of golf? Here, we get, get some. Yeah, golf? we're. Uh, I'm gonna get to go play Barn Bugle over the next couple of days cool. down on Taz. So, well, and I guess the weather's going to be bang on. Yeah. Is that the right term? I'm still the only guy in Melbourne that hasn't played Barn Bugle. Ah, you, just not, you need to talk to the right guys. Man. Uh, yeah, I know. Anyway, enjoy that. It's going to be phenomenal, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you again, following your work, and uh, once again, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Happy to do it, guys. Thank you for listening.